Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question led me in a deep dive into the history of Christianity, the history of the Bible, the roots of my faith, and everything in between. And it was then that I encountered Catholic theology and, and the Catholic Church proper. When I began reading from actual Catholic theologians what Catholics actually believed, I realized what I thought the whole thing was based on was really some misinformation and really just these misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, we have an absolute barn burner of a show. It's fantastic. I am joined by Rachel Bullman. I'm sure you've heard of her. If you haven't, get your head out of the ground because she's everywhere and she's fantastic. And she's my guest this week to talk about her journey. Her journey. This is the story of an evangelical, a spirit-filled, Bible-loving, somebody who's in love with Christ our Lord, who follows that voice into the Catholic faith. It happens. It happens. I would have, as an evangelical, thought this was crazy. And really, I didn't. I really did. I, I had a moment in particular where I was looking into the Catholic Church myself and my journey. I got to a place where, out of frustration, I put into Google, do evangelicals even become Catholic? I, I I was just frustrated. Did I have to really follow this and become Catholic? Well, as it turns out, lots of us do that. Lots of people before me did that. And Rachel's one of those fantastic stories of somebody searching deeply for Christ, following Christ as as, as closely as they can, and discovering the Catholic Church. It's a great conversation with ups and downs. It's an emotional roller coaster filled with tons of those God moments. I think you'll love it. Please, please listen. Please share with some friends who might want to hear this too, because I think that's it's fantastic. If you want to support this show and keep conversations like, like this possible, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic to support this show. This is not my full-time job, as you guys may have heard me say before. It takes a lot of time, and so your support helps this thing to keep going and growing. And now, without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation with Rachel Bowman on her journey coming home to the Catholic Church. It's a great one. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you are listening on podcasts, we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash the cordial Catholic to watch what you are listening to. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe and find us on podcasts as well. We're everywhere where podcasts are found. Uh, we're going to have a really fun time this week. I am joined by Rachel Bowman. She is a convert to the Catholic faith, a popular speaker, a writer, contributor to the Word on Fire blog. She co-hosts a podcast with her husband called School of Humanity, and she is uh, most recently a reality TV star. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Stars in Meet the Bowmans, the new show from Word on Fire, which is fantastic. Uh, her and her husband, uh, Jason, and their wonderful family live in Central Florida, are the center of this amazing show from Word on Fire. There's just so much fun to watch. Uh, so, Rachel, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for carving thank out the time so <laughs> to, sure. to be here. Um, reality TV star? Is that like, has that... <laughs> It's not accurate, but it's kind of fun to imagine, isn't oh it? Oh my gosh. The first time that I saw that word, like Rachel Woolman, this star of Meet the Bullets, <laughs> I was I was sitting next to my husband. I was like, look at this. And he goes, what? I said, it says the star of, and we both just started laughing. So, um, you know, I think whenever we're on fire, they, they approached us about doing it. I remember us kind of looking at each other and being like, is this a reality show? 
Like what, what, how intrusive will this be? Like, are they going to come and live in our house for a year? And so thankfully it's not quite reality the way that we think of when we think about reality TV. Um, so it's more of a snippet, lots of snippets into whatever we're facing that particular week. But, uh, you know, big families, are just not all the rage these days. You know, <laughs> when people think about families, they think about how hard it's going to be. And I actually had our lawn guy, a guy come by to kind of give us a quote on some stuff in our yard. And we're standing there talking. And I said, you know, I wanted to do this because we have, we have six kids. We just had twins. And he said, you have six kids. And I said, yes. And he said, <laughs> I'm so glad that you and your husband are like the right amount of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed and he goes, well, he goes, I'm just saying that that is a compliment. And he said that whenever he was newly married and him and his wife were thinking about having kids, he's like, I literally made like a tally sheet of how much it would cost me to have children. And, and he said, so until I felt like I was ready, that's when we had kids. And he said the same thing that I hear from everyone ever, which is, I really wish you would have had more. And, and so that's been such, such a resounding confirmation of the fact that the world needs to see families that are loving one another, that are still joyful. We might be a little tired and the house might be a little messy, but we still are having the best time of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so well said. I love that. And it, it is such a nice, it's, it's a lovely picture into your family's life so thank you for opening up that that door it's it's yeah it's just wonderful yeah so, so thank, thank you, you. <laughs> i i want to talk about your your faith journey and i want to uh get out of the way and let you kind of tell your story and then we'll stop and dig in sure. some places along the way because a lot of the the listeners to this show a, a big swath of the audience are non-catholic christians looking into the catholic faith who who find mm. this show so we do these conversations about somebody's journey to to highlight why people uh become Catholic who seem otherwise quite okay. normal, <laughs> right? <laughs> although, although right. so many kids, I don't know uh, how normal uh, you guys seem. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a, it's, yeah, I think uh, raising up, you know, these, these large families like, like yours and showing this lovely picture sure. of, of what it means to be and live as a Catholic family is a fantastic opportunity that, that we have. So I'm going to step back a little bit and you can begin as far back as you, as you want to begin and, and march us forward and we'll stop along the way and, uh, and, and, and find some places to dig in a little bit deeper as we go. So where does your sure. faith journey begin? Oh man. So I think <laughs> back in the beginning of time, I, I really am going to start when I was a baby, because it's, it's very important for the way that the rest of my life went along. So I was actually born in an alley in the Philippines. And I, my mom was living in a cardboard box, like a makeshift house wow. in the middle of the Sur world country and gave birth to me there. Now, before we get into the whole birth story, it's important to note too, that my adoptive mother who lived here in central Florida was washing dishes in September of that year. And she was praying to the Lord. She had had a miscarriage, had two little boys and asked the Lord for a little girl for Christmas. So she's in the Philippines with my adoptive father. They are doing mission work and I'm born in an alley. Now it's November, mid-November. And my birth mother is, is I mean, it's, there's lots of complications. And thankfully, some other missionaries happened to be going by at the same time. They took her to the hospital, took me to an orphanage just to be looked after for a little bit. When she came out, she went to go try to take care of me, couldn't do it, went back to the missionaries and said, is there someone that could take care of this baby? Well, everyone knew that there was this American couple that said that they wanted to find a little girl. And so lo and behold, I was adopted by Mike and Nancy, and they lived here in Central Florida, and they were missionaries. My dad later became a pastor in the evangelical faith in the Assemblies of God. And I was I came all the way from the other side of the world to live here. And my mom got her wish for that, that Christmas of being able to have a little girl. Um, I know. <laughs> This is already a really good story. We're in, we're in for a treat. 
So wow. it was just a really incredible way to kind of enter the world and has really shaped a lot of, yeah. of who I am because I'm just so thankful. There are so many things about the Catholic faith where it threads in, you know, these mission Sundays, mission work in, in foreign countries, being able to really come back to the root of who I am because the Philippines is widely Catholic. And I was raised Assemblies of God. So my parents were incredibly devout. My dad was a fire and brimstone preacher. My mom sang in the church. And when I was about 10 years old, they did get divorced and they both got remarried. And I was about 15 years old. I was living with my mom at this time. And I remember going to a friend's church. Now, this was a church of God. Was it, I mean, it's very much like the Assemblies of God, but a different denomination. And I'm sitting there in the back of the room and there's all these kids around the altar, like all these youth kids, and they're all praying very passionately. Some of them are crying. There's lots of charismatic worship going on. And I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm thinking, whatever that is, like that, I'd, I'd like that in my own life. I want to experience that. And so then that really began kind of a huge and passionate devotion to Christ. And so... I go through college. I drifted a little bit after college. Very passionate when I was in college. I think I almost failed several classes because I stayed up too late studying scripture with all of my <laughs> friends. And after college, I am kind of burnt out because I really didn't have a denomination that I was really following particularly. I had done worship ministry. I was a worship pastor for a church over in Tampa. I had done some writing and nothing too crazy, nothing at all like I do now. Um, but I was just kind of still seeking. Something was really missing. And one of the largest conversion moments that I remember having in college was one that I was on the phone with one of my friends, I was still Protestant. I was talking about various things and about my faith and the struggles that I was going through. And it must have been just a Holy Spirit moment because all he said was, Rachel, you know that Jesus loves you. And here I am, like in my early 20s, I've had all these ebbs and flows in my faith. I was brought all the way from the other side of the world here. And I had never heard it like I heard it in that moment. Like, Jesus loves you. And I mean, of course, my eyes just started, you know, like I was chopping onions in my in my dorm room <laughs> at that moment. And I just said, I need you to say it again. And I remember him just saying it over and over again. Jesus loves you. And me just sobbing on the floor in my room. And I still think that that is probably as... As like bumper sticker, we wear it on our like our bracelets as it sounds. If you can find the way to incarnate that truth for other people, that truth can change people's lives because all of us really just desire to be loved. And and that was the first time that I'd ever really heard that before. Like Jesus loves you. There's nothing that you have to do. There's nothing that you've done that changes that. There's nothing that you could ever possibly do to change the way that Christ looks at you. And it was a life altering moment for me. And so fast forward after college, I am working at a restaurant very late nights and I would always end up at this dive bar with all of my friends. And so one night I'm sitting there with some girlfriends that I had graduated with and speed. Do you remember speed with Keanu Reeves? Yes, yes. I don't know what year that was yeah. where he's like on the bus and everyone's about to die because it's going too fast and it'll blow up. <laughs> That's playing on the television screen. And I look down below the television screen and there's this man who looks just like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> so I turn to my friend. I'm like, that guy looks like Keanu Reeves. And so she looks up and by the time she looks up, he's gone. And the way that the bar was set up was that that side of the room where the TVs were, there's a lot of space, but the side that I was on, there's no space. Like you could barely squeeze in behind whoever's sitting on that side of the bar. So a little bit later, after I've drank a little bit of courage, <laughs> he, he walks behind me and I said, this is the guy, this is the guy that I said looks like Keanu Reeves. And my husband will say this much differently. <laughs> that was a giveaway. This turns out to be my husband leader. But I say that he said, do I know you? Like, why are you touching me? He said that his response was, do I know you? You seem nice. Sounds like that was definitely not what you said. <laughs> so there was this very brief interaction and I didn't see him again for a couple more weeks. 
And um, lo and behold, we started to kind of see each other. And I remember one night we were sitting in, in his parents' driveway because he was just home for a short period before he went off to PA school. He's going to medical school. And, and I remember thinking like, wow, there's something really to this guy. Like there's a lot of, a lot more under the surface than just a person that looks like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, and by that point, a little bit after that, I started to, to meet his family. Now I've already explained that like I, my parents had gotten divorced. Um, luckily, I think through the grace of God, that didn't really harm my faith yeah, in God. Yeah. It didn't harm what I thought the love of the father looked like. Um, but what it did do is make me really afraid of commitment, made me really afraid of any kind of vulnerability. And thankfully God has healed that over time. And I remember when I first met his parents, I met two people that didn't require anything of me. When I came in, they were literally just happy to see me. They just wanted to hang out. They invited me places. Wanted to, I remember joking when Jason went away to medical school and I told him, I said, listen, I mean, I'm going to keep your parents. Like if this doesn't work out, <laughs> I'm still going to be at holidays. You're going to have to deal with me anyway. So you should just think about that. <laughs> as we plan the rest of this relationship. Um, but I remember thinking, leaving work one night and a, and a young lady that I worked with would always talk about our dating lives. And so she said to me, I'm dating a new guy. And I said, oh, me too. And she said, well, it's the guy that you're dating a Christian. Now, Jason and I at this point had not really talked about our faith. I don't think at all. Maybe I had told him a little bit about my dad being a preacher or something along those lines, but I don't think we'd really kind of breached that kind of conversation yet. We'd only been seeing each other about three months, I think. And she said to me, um, I knew that they prayed before meals. I'll say that, <laughs> but I didn't know anything else about the faith life of his, of his family. But she, she asked me, she said, is the guy that you're dating a Christian? And I said, yes, he is. And I said, what about the guy that you're dating? And she said, no, he's Catholic. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Like, I'd never heard this. Even growing up evangelical, I'd never heard that kind of anti-Catholic rhetoric. So I said, Catholics aren't Christians? And she said, no. And I said, oh, why, why aren't Catholics Christians? She's like, I don't know. I've just heard that they're not. I was like, okay, well, that's great. And then she says, well, have you ever been to Mass? I was like, well, no. Have you ever been to Mass? And she goes, no, but I've heard it's weird. <laughs> so, so there was all of this hearsay, which yeah. of course makes you think of Fulton Sheen, who said, I won't say it verbatim because I always mess it up, but that there are just a handful of people. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that hate what they think the Catholic yeah. Church is, but there are a handful of people who who have no idea, who, who actually know who she is and, and still hate her. Yeah, And so... Um, I remember going to my car and being completely distraught that someone would say that these people that loved me so well were not Christians. So I got my car and I called Jason. I was going to go see him anyway. And I said, hey, have you ever heard people say that Catholics aren't Christians? And he said, I mean, maybe once or twice, not too much. And I said, well, this girl. So I tell him the whole story. By the time that I get to him, he had Googled it. He had Googled Catholics aren't Christians. Don't do that. So like if you're watching or you're listening and you're thinking, man, I should Google that. Don't don't do that. Bad idea. So he Googled it and there was all of this stuff, of course, just vitriol towards the church, towards the Pope, towards the councils, to all the magisterium, everything. You know, these things are horrible, horrible things. Um, and by the time that I got to him, he's in his childhood bedroom at his parents' house, sitting on the floor almost in tears. And he says to me, he goes, you know, the things that people think that Catholicism is, he's like, I just had no idea that it was such a vast divide. Wow. And I said, you know, looking back, this had to have, of course, been another moment that the Holy Spirit just kind of intervened. Cause I can't believe that I even said this. I knew that I liked him, but when I look back at this, I'm like, wow, out of all the things for me to say in that situation, I looked at him and I said, we both can't be right. And, and just thinking about the fact that I knew that there was such a broad divide that we were on opposing sides of the fence. 
And I said, we can't both have the fullness of the truth. I don't think I'd ever heard that before, (laughs) but still happened to say that on his, in the middle of his childhood bedroom floor. And, and I said, we should, we should try to figure this out. And so then we just both started to devour church documents to read um, apologetics and theology and philosophy. And I started to talk to the various pastors that I knew and I set up meetings with priests that we knew. I still remember going to visit the priest, Monsignor Caulfield, at our church, um, who has now passed away. But we went to his office, this really super Irish priest. And we sit down and he says, oh, hello. And he said, how long have you both been dating? And he thinks, because why would a couple come to visit a priest, right? Like they're clearly coming to tell us that they want to get married. He's like, how long have you guys been dating? And we're like, oh, three months. He's like, where did you meet? And we're like, at the pub. And he's like, oh, of course you met at the pub. Listen, do not awaken love until it so desires. <laughs> and so we both kind of laughed uncomfortably and said, well, we're actually here because Rachel wants to know more about the Catholic faith. And Jason said, and I have some questions too. And so Monsignor Hoffman and I met a few times And then I secretly decided that I was going to go into RCIA. Now, Jason and I had talked about this and we had at one point decided that I would go to like our local parish, which we still go to now. And his mom would be my sponsor. But the thing is, is that I was like a, I was a church hopper. So everyone in town at some point had seen me at their church. (laughs) You know, whether it was like a, a Nazarene church or whether it's Assemblies of God or non-denominational, I had done something at some church somewhere in this town. And I was so worried that someone that would see me and think that I was doing this for Jason. And there are still people to this day that think that. But I wanted to make sure that I was doing it for myself. So Google stepped in again and I Googled churches that offer ICIA and I called this church that's about an hour little bit more than an hour away from me. And this sweet lady, Sharon, answered the phone and she says, you know, you have to come here for like a year, like weekly for a year. Are you sure? I mean, it's like, yeah. I said, I just, I just want to see, you know, what, what the future might hold for, for me and, and the Catholic church. And so I started and I went for about two months before I told Jason And he was in PA school at this time. We really weren't seeing each other that much. He was always in class and and lived about an hour, hour and a half away as well. So he thought that I was going over there because there was a Protestant church over there that had really great music. So he thought I was going to this Protestant worship thing. And uh, so one night on the way home, after realizing that I was in, like this is I'm doing this, I called him and I said, "Um, I have to tell you something. Oh, my gosh. Keith, I missed a very important point in all of this. I'm going to backtrack in a second. But I said, I I, um, I need to tell you something. I can't do this anymore. He thought I was breaking up with him. It might not have been the best choice of words. And, and he's like, oh, gosh. It's like, are we, are we breaking up? I was like, no, I think I'm going to become Catholic. And so that was a much needed, joyful moment for him as opposed to what it started as. But let me backtrack because probably the most pertinent piece in this puzzle of me becoming Catholic, we had made an agreement that he would go to like a Protestant service with me and I would go to church with him, go to mass with him. And so lo and behold, Easter comes around. And of course, like any good Catholic, he says, you should come to church with me on Easter. (laughs) And I didn't know really what I was in for. And so I called my one Catholic friend. And I said, Sean, I need to know what's going to happen at Mass tomorrow. And he's like, I mean, there's a lot of calisthenics. (laughs) He said, there's a lot of standing and sitting and kneeling. There's some prayers. If you just do what everybody else does, you'll be fine. I said, okay, well, more than that, like, what what do I wear? (laughs) He's like, you wear clothes? What do you think we wear to Mass? I was like, I don't know. Never been. And so um, I remember kind of staying up a little bit in in trepidation over what was, what was coming. And so the next morning I get to his parents' house, we rode there together to mass and 
we were late. And so don't be late on Easter Sunday because there is nowhere to sit because all the Catholics come out on Easter Sunday. So we come in, we end up having to sit like in the balcony and we're sitting in the back. I can't see anything because I'm not very tall and I can only hear things and I smell things. I can smell the incense. I can hear the clanging of the bells. I can hear the beautiful chants and music, hear all of the prayers that are so intentional and just this stillness and reverence and just so much of what I needed in my life. And so we get back in the car and we go back to his parents' house, which is about 15 minutes, maybe away from the church. And he says to me, as we pull into the driveway, you have not said anything since we left mass. And he said, so either you hated that. And this is the last time that we're ever going to hang out or something else is going on. And he says, what's wrong? And so I remember standing there next to his parents' car and I just looked at him and I said, uh, I found home. <laughs> and, um, and so that was really what sealed it for me was just the liturgy. You know, I had been in so many services where the music might've been beautiful and the uh, altar call was moving and maybe the sermon was amazing, even though they didn't close until after the seventh time they said they would close. <laughs> um, but I had never experienced the reverence that I experienced that day. Like it felt like something divine was going on. Not because anyone had to say it, but because I knew it. Like I didn't have to believe at that moment that the Eucharist is the body of Christ. For some reason, that room, that parish, the people around me and the attention that they gave to every moment of that mass showed me that that was what I needed. And that that was what my heart had longed for all of my life. There's something different about going to a beautiful parish with stained glass windows and ornate artwork and all of these beautiful things, as opposed to like being in a, in a movie theater or being in a very stark kind of warehouse situation. And it was beautiful. And I felt like it was what I needed. I knew and I even know now that that is what every human heart needs is a place where they're able to be found. And and that's really what you find in the Eucharist. It's what you find in the incarnation of Christ, that no longer are you the one seeking Christ, but he is also seeking you. And I think it was the first time that I was found. And that's when I found home. And it really kind of set forth everything that happened in those following months of me secretly going to RCIA, my covert operation to become Catholic, and then coming into the church in Easter that year. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That, gave, that gives me the chills. You couldn't even see. You couldn't even see what you said. You could just hear right. and smell and, wow. That's, so true. That's amazing. There's there's a lot to un, to unpack in this. You you became Catholic and you you obviously you both really embraced the faith. I mean, quite right. quite seriously. And I love how how serious you were even when you were still dating. I mean, like you said the example with the priest, how how often do does a dating couple come to the priest to right. talk about like, you know, the, the their their faith status and learn more about the Catholic faith when they're dating. That that's awesome. I love that that just shows how serious you guys were. Right. Right. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? And I think that looking back, I'm like, what happened? I mean, there very seriously must have been just uh, at, I remember praying at one point, like, I have to find the truth. Like whatever it may be, I need to find the truth. And it is true what they say that every road leads to Rome. Because if you are seriously going to consider this, then you're going to cross the Tiber. I really hate to break that to whoever's listening <laughs> and Sorry, thinking guys. that that's not what's going to happen, but, but every road really does lead to Rome. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So when you began to investigate the Catholic church, I mean, maybe before you went to that first mass, kind of in that, before that, that period, did you have like strong objections? Because I, you know, I come, I come from a charismatic background. I know, I know that's my jam. Like that's, awesome. that's seven closings. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you, okay, we're not done yet. No, we yeah. won't pray more. And, 
I'm right there with you. And that is very, in one sense, very, very far from the Catholic Church. In a different Mm -hmm. sense, it's very close. I had Father Joshua Caswell on this show, who is the Superior General of the the Canons Regular of St. John Cantius. So very, very vibrant parish in Chicago. Oh my Chicago gosh, I and, love that parish. And lovely, and lovely order of, you know, their, their charism is just, mm-hmm. is, is liturgy. It's, it's beautiful. And he comes from a charismatic background. He's a convert too. And he says wow. the effect that, you know, it's, it's actually so similar. Like the, that, that charismatic feeling that we had, that we want to know Jesus and, and touch him and be close to him. And like, right. you know, all the, all the, the, the very charismatic worship and those altar calls, right? Right. What, what we wanted he said, is fulfilled in the Eucharist and, and the liturgy. Right. It's, it's <laughs> in, in a different sense, but really, really tangible. And I, and I heard that and I get it. Like, right. like that, you know, so in one hand, you came very far as, as a, you know, in a charismatic background to the Catholic faith, but in different sense, like that, that, that mass for you, that was pretty charismatic in a sense, right? Right, right. So charismatic. You know, I remember thinking like, uh, just being completely entranced in all of my senses, even though I wasn't able to, to receive the Eucharist at that time, I was still very much tasting something that I had wanted my whole life that I had kind of hungered for my whole life. And as things got closer, like as I, as I remember once I had made that decision to become Catholic it was probably September, October. So then right around the corner is Advent. And I remember Jason leaving to go to like the penance service to prepare for Advent, even during that Lent and, and just the different liturgical seasons. And I remember sitting in the pew weeping. I mean, absolutely just completely distraught and longing to taste the body of our Lord. And he would leave to go to confession and things. And I would just long for that sacrament long to be closer to the Lord. So that, that charismatic feeling and the longing that is always, it's, it's very much a part of that evangelical nature is to um, stir up this longing that the human heart has. And the Catholic church, like you said, also does that. It just also fulfills it in the Eucharist, fulfills it in these sacraments that, provide grace that the Lord has extended to us. So really, really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Did you have major objections when you first began? Like when you first re- realized that maybe Catholics aren't Christians and you're kind of like, right. what's going on? And you began to dig into that with, with Jason. Like, did you, did you have major objections coming into that experience? Cause I know similar background for me, I had a lot of these like these misconceptions, right, that you have. And it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. these things that I knew, oh, Catholics did this, and that's why I don't like them. It was these things that ended up being mostly myths or misunderstandings that I right, had. Did you have, right. did you have those, th- that baggage when you began to investigate? You know, once I started, there were two, I think the two things that a lot of people are, are hung up on. It actually wasn't ever the true presence. For some reason, I think I just supernaturally knew that to be true, but it was confession. That was one of the things, uh, because of course I had confessed all the time, my whole life. (laughs) And, but to not be able to go to confession, um, I just didn't, I remember thinking like, why do I have to go talk to that guy? Like, why do I have to go talk to a priest? I mean, I'm forgiven all the time. Um, and then I remember just that first time going to confession and, kind of the shame that I felt entering into the confessional and the lifting of that shame when I left. And there's so much, of course, that goes on within that sacrament, but just that initial lifting of that burden, being able to lighten my load to the person asking and the person of Christ was enough for me. I remember thinking there is definitely no way I've never felt that kind of forgiveness prior to the sacrament. Now, the other one was Our Lady with this was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I knew that, I mean, obviously, of course, like you're like, I mean, she has to be special. She's the mother of God. <laughs> She's the mother of Christ. And so 
after do you remember, you know that movie of course we all know the movie the passion of christ yeah. and i had gone to see that when i was when i was protestant um went and saw it with a friend a horrible movie to see with friends yeah. <laughs> i remember like after we saw it we both just kind of looked at each other and we're like all right see ya because you, there's like no conversation yeah. you can have after that because you're just obliterated and now after i became catholic i saw it again and it was amazing because i looked at jason and i said I missed Our Lady entirely. Like I had been taught to just forget that yeah, she existed. Wow. And so in that movie, she is so obviously there in almost every scene of the film. There's an air of Our Lady. There's her face. There she is cleaning his blood. All of these things. And I was just, I had just decided that she didn't exist <laughs> in the way that the church of course, reminds us that she exists, reminds us of our humanity, our desire to be saints through this wonderful mother. And so that was the first time. The second time that I was reminded of this relationship that I continue to renew with Our Lady was my son, our oldest son, Gabriel. He was injured at birth. So he has he has a thing called herbs palsy. Um, and at one point during one of his surgeries, he was like in this cast that went up from his, his waist all the way up to his arm. And so he was only like, uh, I think he was only 18 months old, if that. And we're sitting there and I'm rocking him and he weighs like an extra 15 pounds and he's a big kid anyway. And I'm just praying and asking the Lord to let me take that away. And then all of a sudden, I remember my prayer in his nursery changing to a conversation with our lady. And I asked her, how did you deal with the suffering of your son in this way? And it was almost so clearly because his suffering was for someone else. Like his suffering was a grace that's going to be provided, like provide grace for other people. His suffering changes what suffering actually is and his death changes what death is. And, and it was from then on, I was like, okay, well, all the qualms that I had before about Mary are now gone. <laughs> so she has definitely been, and my husband, you know, very much owes his own reconversion to our lady. And she has been with us in every step of the way. So those are the two things I was really hung up on. And, and now through grace, they have no longer become hangups, but things that I like to tell people are the things that ground our faith. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's do the second thing first. Cause I want to ask you, cause it sounds like this is similar to my situation and my, my wife's situation. We're both, we're both converts. You didn't day one hit the ground as a Catholic loving Mary, right? Like, is, is that right. to say like you, cause this is a, this is, this is always the Protestant hangup with becoming Catholic is, is Mary so often. And that, right. I don't know. I don't know why because could psychologize and, and figure it out. I'm sure there's lots of books written on why that's the case, but it's such a fascinating thing that it's so often our, our lady is the stumbling block for, for even juggles becoming Catholic. So it sounds like you didn't overnight just suddenly have a huge devotion to her. It, it, it grew. Right. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, totally fair to say. Yeah. And so what was that process like? I mean, here's the, you give us an example here of when, it, I mean, you opened the floodgates. Was it a gradual sure. reading things, uh, praying the rosary, talking, talking to her, realizing what intercessory prayer is, is all about? Mm -hmm. How did you begin to, to unpack that? And, and was it weird for you to become Catholic without having all the pieces in place? Sure. I mean, I remember that there was one point in RCIA, especially after the hurdle of reconciliation. And I remember just thinking and praying with my desire to become Catholic and thinking to myself, you know, I don't, I don't think I've asked all the questions that I have, nor do I firmly and believe in everything, especially, especially of course, our lady. And I just remember thinking, but I trust what I know that, that right. Christ has put in place. Yeah. I trust that this is the truth. And I know that I will find it. Like you will provide the pathway for me to discover it. And so I kind of just went all in, even, even though some, some parts of the church, some parts of, of who she is and the things that we need to know about her are still veiled. Um, 
and that's why so many people say like we 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 call it like the mystery of our faith and it's not a mystery because it's it's impossible to know it's a mystery because it's always being revealed and I think that the Lord just gave me so much grace in those moments. And and this relationship with Our Lady, of course, has continues to blossom um, in diaconate formation. One of the questions that, that I was asked in our initial interview, because, you know, with, with the permanent diaconate in the Catholic Church, if your husband becomes an ordained clergy and you die, yeah. he cannot remarry. And so we, at this point, we had three kids. Yes. In formation, we've had three more kids, um, but we had three kids at the very beginning. And one of the formator's wives asked me about this and it's such a pointed question, but I look back at it and I think to myself, where did that come from? And I just so firmly believed it, but she asked me if something happens to you, wouldn't you want your kids to have another mom? And I'm sure, you know, that's one of those questions where they're trying to like put you in a corner and want to see where your, where your heart is. And without missing a beat, I said, my kids already have another mom. And I said, I tell my kids all the time that I am their earthly mother, but that they have a heavenly mother and that she, the only way that I have any wisdom is by reflecting who she is. And, and I know that if something were to ever happen to me, that she would take care of them because I've always entrusted them to her care. And so I remember when we walked out that day, my husband was like, I can't believe you said that. I was like, yeah, I can't believe I said that. So I think just love of our lady had been at that point, um, you know, enveloped so much of my life that it was, it was without missing a moment of being able to say, you know, she's also, the mother of my children. <laughs> that's good. That's like a burn answer. That's like, oh, I gotcha. Like, that's a really good gotcha answer. Like, they probably left that meeting thinking, wow, she's really good. Like, she really got us. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, it was great. So let's do, let's talk a little bit about confession because that's the other thing. I mean, I had a weird experience with confession because I remember at some point doing a Bible study and I used to lead these uh, for a little non-denominational student church that met on campus. I was a a little Mm -hmm. small group leader and we get these really funny Bible studies where we essentially looked at these questions and just asked questions the whole time. It was very, very, it was very funny. It was very non-denominational in its its goal. Just asking questions (laughs) and, and sitting in the tension of these questions. But one of the passages we read at one point was talking about how we should confess our sins to one another. Because that's in the Bible. And I remember thinking about that and going, well, why don't we do this as, as non-denominational Christians? Like, why aren't we doing this confessing thing? And who, right. like, do people do this? Do other Christian denominations do confession? And I remember kind of digging into that and realizing that, that Catholics did that in some, in, I had no idea about the priesthood and the sacraments at this point, but they, they did confession. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I was always a little bit intrigued about confession and, and wondered why we didn't do that as non-Catholic Christians. Right. And then, of course, when you experience that, this, I think, is is so hard to explain to, to non-Catholics who haven't experienced it. Like It's one of those sure. experiential things, I think, right? But And you put it really well. The idea that if somebody... So we believe, of course, that you know the priest is speaking in the place of Jesus, is in the place of Christ in that, in that sacrament. And the words the priest speaks of forgiveness are literally the words that Christ puts into that, that priest's mouth, right? He, he says, say this, and they say that right. and we're forgiven. Gosh, that experience is, is mind-blowing. It's right? mind-blowing. You described it so well. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking if we can unpack that a bit further, for the, for the non-Catholic Christian who is wondering why, why would I need to go to confession apart from Christ saying we should do it? Like the, right. That experience is is so different than sitting in your room or kneeling in your bed in, in your college dorm praying. Oh my gosh. Right? It's, it's, it's worlds apart. Can worlds we, apart. Can we unpack that for yes. a moment? Like what, what would you say to the person who's like, well, why, why? 
Well, you know, one of the first times that I'd ever heard about confession wasn't even in the sacramental sense, wasn't in in scripture. It was actually in, you probably read it, it was this book from like the 2000s, late 90s. It was called Blue Like Jazz. Did you ever read that book from Donald Miller? And I was just telling Jason this about, about this the other day, and I said, there's this part in the book where these evangelical non-denominational, I can't even remember, uh, Christians set up these yes. tents on this college <laughs> campus, right? And they put these signs outside that said confession available. And so people would stop in thinking that of like the sacrament of confession, like you're going to tell your sins and then be forgiven type of thing. Something along those lines, maybe not sacramentally, but they they. I think people went in there with that kind of understanding. But when they would sit there, they would be faced with someone from the church. And that person would then say, this is not your confession. This is mine. Like I'm apologizing for all of the things that the church has done the way that we've hurt you. And I remember reading that the first time. And I, I mean, I couldn't even read for like 20 minutes because I was just crying (laughs) Um, because of, of just how beautiful it was. And, and the way, of course, Donald Miller is a great storyteller. I think he's made his whole life on that now, but the way that he, he wrote about it just really showed you the, the gravitas of being contrite, of being able to go before someone and kind of lay it all out. And so, um, that's one thing, but the other side of it is this. And I keep, I said it before, but just this incarnational reality, the problem I think that we run into when we go into our room or we're on the way to our, our work and we're like in our car confessing and we're saying that we're confessing to God. That's beautiful. That's great. I still do that every now and then when it's a venial thing, that's a whole other podcast. But, (laughs) um, when you are able to go to, to a person who is in the flesh and in persona Christi, it brings everything to a whole new level. It makes it incarnational, which is one of the reasons why confession will never be a virtual thing. Like you're never going to be able to jump on Zoom and like go to confession because the beauty of every sacrament from the church is this incarnational reality that Christ uses the, the, the world that we know, the materials of this world, whether it be the flesh of the human person, whether it be water, whether it be the human heart, whether it be the man and the wife in the sacrament of confession, but he uses the incarnational reality and materials of this world to provide grace to us. And that's not going to be the same kind of grace that you feel when you're alone, because the relational reality of the Trinity, the relational reality of you and Imago Dei and the image of Christ comes to a new place when it's in relationship to another person. And man, (laughs) having to sit in a room and confess, even when you don't, when you use the screen, right? Because you think this is going to feel better if I sit behind the screen and don't like have to see them. Um, the one of the the form that's required is or the matter that's required for the sacrament of confession is a contrite heart and you know if you've if you've ever had that situation where like you've gone to a friend and you're like i'm really sorry for what i've done right like maybe you've wronged them in some way and you really feel that you have really blown it It's one thing to admit that to yourself. It's a whole other thing to go to your friend and say to their face, really sorry for what I've done. And anyone that sees this or is listening to this knows what I'm talking about, that you're like dreading the moment that you're going to have to confront the reality that this didn't go as you planned and you wish that it was better. And it's usually your fault. Think about that times like a thousand. And that's what confession is. And if you think about the relief that you felt once you had reconciled with your friend, think about the relief that you feel when you've reconciled your heart with the heart of Christ. Man, confession's good stuff. <laughs> That's a fantastic description. It's it's so true, and it's it really is hard to explain. And I heard this recently somewhere. I don't remember where it was. So I'd give them credit, but you know, we often tell people who. So when I was not a Catholic, we did a lot of evangelization in some of these groups I was a part of, even some really awkward street kind of. I'm not yeah, good. Yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not good. That's not my 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 wheelhouse. But we tried, Same. and it was super awkward. But we, you know, you you 
you convert people by telling them, hey, you know, here's all this stuff, like, like learn this, but then come try it. Right. We often like right. you, you don't often have see, this, right? yeah, you don't have to have this intellectual conversion to Christianity in the first place. So I was thinking right. about this, the, the, the idea that when we're inviting non-Catholics to, to think about becoming Catholic from different, you know, from, from Protestant Christianity, that experience of a lot of these things is, is so important. Right. Your experience at mass. Now they can't go and experience confession and, and have that sacramentally done but right. the experience of a lot of these things this the sacramental life the liturgical life of the church the experience of those things is is so important to understand the appeal and the truth and the grace and the beauty of that i, I think right it's so true and i think that even going back before um my experience in the mass i think the way that we can convert hearts the most is by loving people well. Yeah. You know, I when I think about the fact that, that that girl said, you know, Catholics aren't Christians, my first thought was, if these people are anything, Jason and his parents, they're they're Christians. Like they're more Christian than anyone that yeah. I had known at that point in my entire life because of how they loved me. And and you know, it's it St. Paul even says they'll know us that we're Christians by our love. And I mean, we can do all the things well, right? You can have all the rhetoric, you can have all the worship, you can have the beautiful mass. But if they come to mass and no one is kind to them, if they come to mass and it feels cold and barren because no one loves well, you know, I, I look back and I think about the ways that we've depicted Jesus, like cinematically, and and even in Jim Keviesel in, in his Passion of the Christ, especially in Jonathan Rumi in this The Chosen series, there's this understanding of the love of Christ that you see in, in his interactions with other people. And I think that we we just miss that sometimes. We think we have to have all the answers and be able to talk all the good game. But really what it comes down to is making people feel loved. I mean, that's really going to be the thing that that you can't be a clanging, what does it say? A clanging cymbal or a resounding gong if you have not love. You can you can make all the noise in the world, but if you don't have love, it's really of no good. Oh. <laughs> That's good. That's well said. I wonder, yeah, I've never heard that before. No, I'm joking. That's, that's fantastic. And it's, that's, that's true, right? That's what draws people to us. And I guess... I, I want to ask you for the you know our, our last little bit of the conversation here. If you can just talk about living that life out, like like actually doing that, because you guys now you and Jason, your family are are right. <laughs> you've invited us in as part of the this Word on Fire show, so we can see you quite literally on on YouTube. And I'll, I'll put I'll put links in the show notes to to see Thank a bit of your you. family. But I wonder how the the your, your faith just weaves into your life, right? There's, for me, a, a difference between the life as, a, life as a Christian, how I would live before, and then life as a Catholic. This this sacramental, liturgical right. life is very different than, you know, my, my Pentecostal church that would have celebrated Easter and, and Christmas and these things. But right. it's it's a day and it's done kind of thing. Or it's, it's Christmas mm-hmm. trees up a month before, but they're just, decorations on the stage and then they're down afterwards kind of thing but the liturgy like the sacraments that that's a whole different way of living out your faith and i think you'd agree i i certainly feel this this way that it's it's turbocharged what was right. my christian faith and now as a catholic like it it, it invites the family to, to follow the the church year and it, it invites celebrations throughout the year and just uh, gosh a, a a way different way of living, I think. So maybe unpack right. for us a little bit about how you guys live that sacramental liturgical life and, and, and show that lovingly to those around you. I don't know. Sure. Um, so, you know, we're not really great at liturgical living. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have a Pinterest board with a lot of Catholic crafts on there. I've tried. <laughs> I'm not really good at that. <laughs> I love it. But what we do uh, with our kids is try to let them understand that that Christ is pursuing them in everything yeah, that they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that was kind of like uh, up in the sky type of reality when you were Protestant. 
but for every week for you to return to mass for every day for those of us that, that are daily mass goers for you to go into mass and be found by a Christ who is pursuing you and for him to enter into your being that like you said is a whole turbocharged reality and for us to learn to live that liturgically and to live that just in our, a sacramental worldview is for us to draw everything back into that reality that um, one of uh, our philosophy and theology professors during Jason's diaconate formation, she said it so well. She said, you know, a Protestantism kind of like if you have an ice cream cone, you've got the cone, you've got the ice cream on top and you have these sprinkles. And so Protestantism will say that Jesus is like the sprinkles, right? So maybe if I bite like at a certain time in a certain way, I'm, I'm going to get Jesus. But Catholicism and a sacramental worldview means that the entire cone is Jesus, that no matter where you bite, if you just happen to get a little bit of the cone or you happen to get the ice cream or you get all three parts of it, you are going to receive Christ. And so even if you go back as far, like I said, if you're going to like really deep, dig deep into this, you need to go back all the way to the church fathers. And, and read the way that they talk about nature, read the way that they talk about the cosmos, read about the reality of what happens at mass. And you're going to find out that Christ has been pursuing you through everything, through the way that the sun, the moon and the stars exist from the way that that nature is constantly in this cycle of reviving itself, of dying and resurrecting again, that everything points to the same place. And that's what we try to do for our kids that every moment that we're, we're spending with them somehow always finds its way back into mass. It always finds its way back into the altar, always finds us back in the Paschal mystery. And the way that they have taught us about that reality is also something that happens in every family and every relationship. There's always this school of being taught and learning at the same time. And so just being able to practice that kind of, of being the pupil, being the teacher at the same time, but also that vulnerability. And I said earlier, you know, what was one thing that I, I was just not good at um, was vulnerability. But being able to be vulnerable now because I've learned that vulnerability is one of the needs for healing, one of the things that have to be in place for us to understand the incarnational reality of who Christ is, who is, of course, the most vulnerable and being able to then pass that on to my children, to practice that in my marriage with Jason, and to then in turn take that vulnerability that we share with one another and that love that we share with one another and give it to the world. There's absolutely nothing like it. So I wouldn't I would I would say that to practice a sacramental world worldview is going to be for you to understand the incarnational reality of what happens on the altar and then realize that that happens everywhere around you, but it's always a beckoning back to that place, that place of the Paschal mystery. So <laughs> that's good. I, I keep getting goosebumps. This is, this is good stuff. I can, I can feel the, the, your, your, your charismatic background there. It's almost have gone yeah. back and yeah, it, it leaks out and it's good. It's good. I like, it. I'm feeling that. We wanna... should do an altar call now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> With no altar, right? That made no right. sense to me. It made right. so much no more sense, sense when I became Catholic and realized what the well, yeah, there's there's the altar. Let's go. Right. Yeah. I've been looking for that. Yeah, the whole time, right? That really is like that's the come to Jesus moment. When you find the All actual right. altar you've been called to for so long. That's so really great. that's there's a sort of book right there, I think. That's that's fantastic. I wanna ask you one more thing and this is I don't know. You said before the the idea that you 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 know you came to to America from the Philippines through this kind of miraculous journey and, and answer to prayer. And it's funny because that's a very Catholic country, right? On right. on the face of things. Right. Do you do you get the sense that like there's this community behind you in prayer like that that led right. you to that moment because it just seems such a powerful moment. And gosh, I, amazing. And I don't know, I guess there's this, it's a funny thing, the saints, like for, for even right. listening to this program, it's, it's a very weird thing, but you can have a relationship with these people 
who have gone before us, right? right. Or who have left this earth, we, we believe you can as, as Catholics. Do you, do you ever sit back and go, wow, I got here through these, these amazing prayer warriors from who knows when? Like, do you ever think about that? Right. Oh, man. Now I'm going to if I haven't. <laughs> but but it's true. You know, I really think, um, who knows? You know, I never met my biological parents. Uh, there have been like these these kind of moments where I might be able to do and I've seen photos and things like that, but I never know what that might be like. And I remember going to um, spiritual direction and I was sitting there with, with, with my spiritual director. And I, and I said to him, you know, it's just amazing that I've been led here in all this time and that there's a seemingly like missing part of like my biological parents. And he said the most amazing thing. And he said, Rachel, even though you've never met your parents, you know that they they've passed away. Like you've, you've been told by everyone that they passed away. I said, yes. And he goes, then you can talk to them. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, you could talk to them. And, and I was like, well, obviously he goes, no, you need to go and just tell them that you're, you're fine. Like tell them that it's all turned out. Okay. And so just in the reality of what you just said, married with that reality of, 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 you know, my own, story is this reality of, of purgatory, which we won't get into purgatory. We don't have enough time for that, <laughs> but this, this really kind of enveloping in the love of God is what I imagine purgatory to be, which is something that we, we can't really all, I, I can't even begin to fathom what that might feel like because I think I felt fractions of it and, and my humanity can't handle it. <laughs> And I would imagine that maybe if my biological father and mother have now experienced that kind of love, that they know the reality of the church. They know the reality of, of who Christ is. And maybe their intercession, even in their death, has been for me to find that. And so I remember going in to the church after that that session of spiritual direction and just sitting there and, and, and kind of awkwardly kind of being like, mom and dad, <laughs> um, like I've everything's turned out okay. Like, even though you, I was, my husband's in the background, sorry, <laughs> but that I have found my way to what I know to be the truth and that I've been found as a daughter, even though I was never able to meet you as my mother and father, that in the life that I live now, I'm, I'm fully daughter. And so, um, yes, yeah. I totally believe that, that there, there's this full circle reality of, of where I was born and where I'm now being born again every day. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're killing us. Like you're you're just going to have everybody listening to this, this, I can't even handle this. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being so, so so vulnerable and being here. Um, (laughs) <laughs> There's tons more to unpack, of course. Uh, maybe someday we'll unpack some more things. But I want to thank you for this journey. That's that's incredible. And our listeners will will love hearing your story and your vulnerability. So thank you. That's that's thank amazing. You. That's amazing. Um, where can people go to? Well, to watch you, to oh to gosh. know more about you, to read your stuff, to find you. Where where do you want to point them towards? Because they're going to want to know more. I'm, I'm sure. So. Meet the Bullmans, this reality show that you have talked about <laughs> is on YouTube. Yes, it is on the Word on Fire Institute channel. So you can either go out and, and go on YouTube and search for Meet the Bullmans or just go to the Word on Fire Institute page and you'll see the episodes. They come out every Friday. And if you want to just hang out with me and my random vulnerability of turning in small puppies into things to cry about, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all under Rachel Bullman and rachelbullman.com if you want to know where I might be and what might be happening with me in the future. So, Keith, it's been so much fun. Thank you well, for having me. <laughs> Thank you. It's a real pleasure and so much fun to follow you. So I encourage listeners, they're, they're going to want to as well. If they don't already, I'm sure they already do. Who are, who are we kidding? <laughs> Thank you for being Thank here. You. I want to say God bless you and the fantastic ministry that you do for the church. And uh, and seriously, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. God bless. 
Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for listening to that fantastic conversation with Rachel Bowman. My deepest, most profound thanks to her for joining us on the show. She's got a busy schedule, and so I love that she took the time to be here and... Gosh, what a conversation. I hope you really enjoyed that, guys. Our website is thecordialcatholic.com. You can reach me at cordialcatholic at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback each and every week. And we're on social media at Cordial Catholic on Instagram and on Twitter. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And please do leave a rating and a review for this show if you like it, wherever you find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as well. Those ratings and reviews help to push this podcast out to new people and help to keep this thing going and growing. If you want to support the show financially, help to underpin this work, consider heading over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic for monthly support. I have some perks there as well that I try and offer to, to thank those to support the show that way, or head over to paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation as well. Those help too. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic to watch what you are hearing here, and if you haven't already, please do head over there and subscribe to that channel as well to get our new videos and and clips and, and those kinds of things, and that helps the channel there to keep growing as well too. Thanks for listening, guys. Please know that I am praying for you each and every week. Please pray for me, too, and our guests on the show. And and we'll talk to you again next week, friends. Thanks for listening. God bless. Take care. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.